You are listening to The Mend Podcast. I'm Joe Roeder, and I spend my life on the water and in the field. As a fly fishing guide and outfitter, I have spent decades personally honing my skills and helping other people improve theirs. My goal is to help listeners learn from my mistakes and successes. This podcast is brought to you by Red's Fly Shop, the best place to get outfitted for your next big adventure. The Men Podcast, here we are. I'm back from South America, uh, went to Chile, fished in uh, Patagonia, tiptoed right along the Argentinian border, had a great trip. Uh, today's podcast, I am going to unpack some of the stuff that I learned on that trip, some of the technical angling, some of a little bit about gear and rods and that kind of stuff, but I promise I'll make it applicable to anybody who's listening it's not just going to be all about you know fishing in this faraway place. All the stuff that I do there and learn there's, it's all it can all be put to use on your home turf, so to speak. So whether you're in a faraway place or your own backyard, I think you'll find some of my insights on today's podcast helpful. And uh, yeah, I'll touch on a couple of other things that are coming up. Uh, yeah, just uh, glad to be doing this podcast every couple of weeks. Uh, the days are getting longer here uh, at 47 degrees north fast, so I'm really feeling the bug and itching to get on the water doing uh, a little bit of guiding, but uh, mostly fishing. So uh, I'll be heading out the next couple of days fishing, doing a little video stuff tomorrow, and then uh, taking my wife fishing on Saturday. Actually, I'm going to take her out and we're going to do nothing but throw streamers from the boat and get her uh, her kind of dialed in for fishing season. Uh, give her kind of an arm workout, so to speak. So I'll be doing that this weekend. Uh, yeah, so new things. Um, give you a couple just little, uh, little updates and things before we uh, get cracking on dissecting my trip. One is March 25th, Trout's Bay Clave. First annual Pacific Northwest Trout's Bay Clave. We're going to have some awesome presenters. Simon Gosworth of Real Products is going to be there. He's just such a fun guy to listen to and just such an amazing uh, caster, both double-hand and single-hand, actually. George Cook, um, always great. He's going to do uh, a little seminar on on hucking big uh, with your trout spay rod and tips for power and distance. Uh, although you don't need that all the time, if you can learn that stuff, it's going to make your short game a lot more efficient. So... Check that out. The, uh, I'll teach uh, a seminar. Steve Joyce, um, my my founding partner here at Reds, he's an amazing spay fisherman and, and great caster. He's going to teach a seminar, and then we'll have some indoor seminars um, as well on having like some gear discussion. Totally free. Just show up. It runs 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., and then we'll do a happy hour afterwards. Uh, it's going to be called something like Tipsy Tips. And... Uh, it's a great opportunity to get some pros up in front uh, of a group presenting with uh, a beer in hand, should they like a beer. Um, and it's just a fun way for each pro to have about five minutes of sharing uh, maybe a fishery that they guide or fish, uh, an adventure they had, or just sharing uh, some pro knowledge uh, with everybody. So don't miss that Trout Spay Clave. It's going to be absolutely awesome. And it's a great time of year to fish uh, the Yakima River Canyon as well. So when you're here, maybe hit the squala hatch or do some trout spay fishing that weekend uh, when you're up here for the trout spay clave. And it should be dry. It's eastern Washington, so although it'll be cold at night, it should be nice and dry if you feel like camping. 
So we've had my trip to Patagonia recently. We got two groups in Cuba right now. I haven't heard anything from them. Uh, we've got one group fresh back from Ascension Bay that had a real nice trip. Um, that Chad Gillespie of uh, Fjord Fly Fishing. Uh, if you're interested in Sierra and Cutthroat Fishing, Chad is one of my best friends and and was one of my guide mentors actually. But he guides the Hood Canal, um, the Pacific Northwest. But Fjord Fly Fishing, uh, check him out. But he runs, he hosts a trip a year for us. He's a great group leader and organizer. But Sounds like they had a really nice trip uh, in pretty decent weather. Then Max, another one of our in-house guides, is hosting Ascension Bay right now, and they've had spectacular weather. So I'm looking forward to getting uh, a more detailed report from him. And uh, I think I mentioned two trips in Cuba. Yes, Steve Joyce is in Cuba, and University Director Jason as a group in Cuba right now. So we got lots of hosted travel going on. So watch our uh, Instagram when those guys... Do share some some more of the uh, images with me or parts of their adventure. I want to get those uh, posted right up there. So lots of fishing going on. We've posted our 2024 and 2025 schedules, but I still have uh, dates for my rooster fish trip that I host. Uh, my wife and I are both on the trip, and we're going to host that uh, <clears throat> June 26th to July 2nd in the same place I've been the last couple of years. Uh, just looking for rooster fish, Jack's Dorado, but... Just looking for a great time, uh, you know. Bring bring a wife, spouse, you know, uh, a friend. It doesn't matter. It's just a mixed group, but it makes just a really it's a quality couples trip because they have a non angler um, itinerary uh, deal to it. So you can bring a, you can bring a spouse that doesn't fish, and it it all works out great. So check that out. Uh, we're gonna have a Father's Day scavenger hunt this year. So like looking ahead, that's one of the funnest things of the year. And that's coming up. It's a little over four months away. But if you're looking for like this like, most killer Father's Day weekend, we're gonna do a rendezvous, like a big rendezvous on Saturday and then do a scavenger hunt, fly fishing scavenger hunt on Sunday. So gonna mark your calendars there. A couple of other things that's going on. A lot of people that are watching Reds or me on Instagram noticed I'm wearing some Squala gear. That's the new thing. Uh, Squala gear is like an absolute top-tier technical clothing and waiter uh, company. They don't make a lot of stuff. They don't make they don't make women's stuff. Uh, they don't make they don't even make men's size small. They they make like a very narrow niche of products that are highly technical. In fact, I'm wearing a Squala, uh, Squala Fusion Hybrid jacket right now, and I just love this stuff. It's so well designed, so well built, and built for fishermen, not like general mountaineering type wear. And there's some features in every product that are just new and innovative. Um, I don't see him knocking Sims or Patagonia um, off of the podium, but I think uh, for somebody who's interested in highly specialized fly fishing gear from a small company, a uh, small company with big brains and a lot of experience in building this stuff. It's worth a look. We don't have it in inventory yet. No, we'll probably have all of our stuff in a week or two, but I wanted to give kind of a rigorous testing to some of the gear. And I'll do a full-blown review on these carbon waders that I wore in Patagonia. Is I tell you, this carbon waders, for, I feel like I've been wearing non-breathable waders for years after wearing these carbon waders. I'm drier. And happier. I'm not clammy inside. Um, i anxious to see how they hold up over the long term. Uh, they're not a super tough four-layer type waiter. They're a 
more of a light, fast, on-the-move convertible waist tie waiter, but that's the Squala Carbon. And uh, don't run out and buy any of this stuff yet. Wait till we have it at Reds, and then wait till wait till you get the talk through. I've already done a video review that I haven't been able to edit yet, but wait till I do the talk through before you go out and run out and start buying that stuff. It's important that uh, you kind of understand the sizing um, and some of the other features to make a good decision. So the Squala gear is really exciting. Uh, new saltwater rod. I got a couple of those on the way for me. I'm hoping Christmas Island opens in May, but I'll be in Campeche fishing tarpon in April, and I'm going to put that Sage R8 9 weight to work. And Jason and Steve in Cuba uh, right now are fishing that new Sage Salt R8, and so far we really like it. Seems like it's got a lot of gears you can run through from short to long. It seems to seems to be pretty easy to cast at all distances. Um, you know, not markedly better um, than anything else on the market, but a good solid rod. If you're a Sage fan and you've been waiting for Sage to build a better saltwater rod than what they've had, um, here it is. It's great. Um, it's a great, fabulous rod. And I haven't heard of any breakage yet. It's only been out for, oh, uh, about two weeks, but people have been fishing them pretty hard on some of our trips uh, that we've had out. No breakage thus far. Uh, and me for myself i got a piece of cody's fish art i'm really excited about that i'll be doing a lot more video um in my home um where it's nice and quiet um and i can kind of commentate narrate and add some context to some of the fishing media that i create and uh, you'll see that cody's fish in the background it is so cool i've wanted one for so long if you're not familiar with cody richardson creations go check them out you can find him on Instagram or on his website, but um, it's license plate art. So you can get, like if you're from Colorado, for instance, you can get uh, trout the shape or a, um, a, a trout-shaped piece of art made out of Colorado license plates. Um, it's it's kind of hard to explain, but go take a look at it. It's just really cool. They're all unique. They're all different, uh, and it's just Cody's a cool dude, and he's building really, really neat uh, artwork. So I finally got one of those. I'm really happy about it. Uh, I hope my wife likes it when she gets home tonight. Uh, I had to move a few of her things. <laughs> hope I'm not in trouble. Probably am. Um, that and I've got some new fish pond gear after this trip to Patagonia. Um, I, <clears throat> I went out and got myself some new fish pond gear. I really, really like it. Just like everything that fish pond makes is so durable. It's made from recycled materials, which is cool. Um... Number one thing is I want good gear. I don't want bad gear just because it's recycled. But when you can find like awesome, top-of-the-line, durable, long-lasting, well-thought-out pieces of gear that are made out of recycled materials, that to me is pretty pretty cool. That we're actually building something worthwhile out of it and not just kind of faking our way through it. Same is true with that Recycled Waiters company. If you haven't shopped Recycled Waiters products, they make wallets and little uh, ditty bags and... and uh, accessory pouches and things like that out of recycled waders i just think it's an awesome concept and it's really good quality gear so uh, that's another thing i got but i got some new fish pond gear i got their uh i think it's called the wind river uh, roll top backpack i'm gonna going off uh, memory here yeah wind river roll top backpack really needed a backpack on this patagonia trip we were hiking i needed to put layers in there i needed to put my rain jacket a puffy jacket when it warmed up uh some water and snacks and stuff and my my hip pack just wasn't enough um 
I'd, I had stuff tied onto my hip pack, and I was asking the guide to constantly carry things for me, and I don't like that. Um, so yeah, I got a backpack for the next round, and that's also going to be able to, when I leave my room or my lodge or my house in the morning, and the same is true here, whether I'm here or there, when I leave my house in the morning, if I can just grab that backpack, um, if I'm going to have weather where I might need to put layers in and out of it, that backpack's going to get the nod. If it's just uh, a half a day of fishing and I don't expect to have you know a lot of layers coming off and on, I prefer a hip pack. Uh, but the backpack's going to come in come in really handy. So I've got that coming, and this was the first time I have never taken a separate rod travel tube when I've gone somewhere. And every morning, you know, we we do these rough drives on on dirt roads, and you don't ever have your rods put together all week like a saltwater trip. You have your rods are pretty much like. They're together all week, and, and you put them in together at the beginning of the week, and then you don't break them down for six days. But in Chile, you're piecing a rod together in the morning. You're breaking it down at night, driving back to the lodge. Next morning, you get up, you, you, you drive with your rod in a carry tube or a travel tube, put it together, go fishing, break it down. And having a tube where you can put you know three or four rods in it and safely and conveniently transport them back and forth, I felt like I was a little bit disorganized because I had rod socks laying around here and there um, and I don't like banging metal tubes around and everything it's just obtusive and n- noisy but uh, I ordered uh, <clears throat> one of those fish pond jackalope rod tubes uh, really I'm going to be going on another big trip in a month uh, and I'm going to definitely have a rod travel tube and I got a reel case coming that was the other thing my reels kind of bang I got two reel cases recently from Fish Pond, and I got the big stowaway reel case because I'm tired of my reels getting misplaced or, you know, I can't find them. So I've got one home base, a nice reel case for all of my fly reels finally that stays here at home base. And then I got another small reel case in the event I go on a little trip, uh, even for a single day, maybe I'll take reels out of my big case, you know, put two or three reels in the small case, take it with me, and then I can return them to home base. But, um, I would lose my head if it wasn't attached, and I'm glad I finally got a couple of real cases coming. So, And I get a burrito waiter bag. That was the other thing. My waiter bag that I've had for about 10 years is just pathetic. So having a nice little light bag where I can transport dirty waiters and boots with all that river, river guac on them uh, in a nice bag uh, is appreciated that my boots just aren't kind of floating around willy-nilly, uh, getting mud on stuff and whatnot. It's just easy to throw them in and out of the rig, and I'm more organized. I'm less likely to forget something. So that's my splurge um, and uh, kind of some things that are upcoming and a few gear takeaways uh, from this recent trip that I was on. And uh, what I'd like to do is just kind of get into some day-by-day stuff, and this probably won't be a super long podcast, but I'm going to talk about the fishery that I was on each day, uh, a few things that I learned, um, the flies that we used, and a few uh, individual takeaways on both gear and tactics. Day one. So day one, we get in. Um, we get into the lodge down there. We try to get a good night's sleep. Uh, I try not to drink too much alcohol on these trips. It, it's really easy for the momentum to get going, <laughs> but. Day one, you're still kind of running on adrenaline. You know, you've traveled and you're probably up too late the night before. I wasn't up super late, but day one is always just kind of like you're giddy and you're running on adrenaline. And we went to a lake um, on day one. And for anybody who's like, I don't badmouth any fishing. I hear people 
especially like the, uh, the, the Instagram alphas of the world. They want to say, oh, lakes, puke, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like spring creek, you know, spring, you know, weedy spring creeks, oh, puke. It's like, well, what do you want out of fishing? You just want to fish the same like Freestone River every day for the rest of your life. Um, I love variety. I love doing different things and learning new things. So I think two things people in Patagonia, and I put up an Insta, Insta post, it's kind of said this as like people are like, I don't want to fish lakes and I don't like the wind. And you get down there and it's like, these lakes are killer. They're so cool and it's different than what people think. So on this lake, we we put in and, and our guide, Lalo, uh, was like, yeah, the wind is, it's big wind today. You know, they do it in meters per second. It was, I think, eight meters per second was in the forecast for that day. And it, I don't know what that is in miles per hour. Somebody can chime in in the comments and tell me I'd, it's been a long time since I've done a, a physics problem like that, but or conversion problem like that. But uh, he said the wind is really good on the lakes. Um, they, when it's really stagnant and still, the trout really don't, they don't really get excited about <clears throat> being up near the surface. But when you get big winds and you get a lot of white caps and, and slap against the cliff walls and that water slapping aggressively, hitting the shoreline it creates some oxygenation really tight to the shore and those browns man those brown trout love to just move right in tight to those cliff walls in those big rocks and just move right in up against the shoreline and we we get the boats it's kind of cool they run these cataract boats with a little outboard motor and they get set up in a drift and we try to get that wind going and so we're basically like floating down a river and that cataract gets blown by the wind pretty fast. Uh, and so you kind of have to get going with the wind. But you're basically like floating a river. And we're, we were popping beetle flies right against the shore. And I fished with uh, with Eric and uh, one of our guests on the trip. And Eric was just firing that beetle right up against the shore. He's a very good caster. And uh, we both did. Um, fired the fly right up against the shore. And that shallow water right in against the bank, it's amazing in Patagonia that trout don't have any birds of prey to contend with so there's no ospreys or anything so those trout loved going right up against the shore but it started out the fishing kind of medi- mediocre um, it was okay you know we were working certainly working hard for them uh, I was throwing a, a Rio's ground beetle which is like my number one you know go-to beetle fly I take that in 12s 10s and 8s and um, I think they even make a 6 in that but it, it's a pretty big variety of sizes that that I take in that fly. So it's not like one, it's not like I say I fish that a lot. I don't fish the same size going from a 12 to a six, um, for instance, is a big jump. But I think I was throwing eights, tens or eights. The trout there don't, um, in a non-Cantaria beetle year. So Cantaria beetles are that giant rhinoceros beetle that you see um, in a lot of, it's like a, You'll see BBC little episodes about it and Nat Geo type stuff, but it's like a phenomenal insect thing. It's huge. That those hatch in even numbered years. Um, well, I mean, an even numbered year like this being January first, twenty twenty three, or January twenty twenty three is a non-Cantaria year. So uh, December of twenty two would be a non-Cantaria year. So the first of the year, if it's odd, uh, is not going to be a, a good Cantaria year. Next year is going to be amazing. We're going to see a bazillion of those things. But the beetles uh, were quite small. A lot of people are surprised at how small the flies were fishing. And we were fishing pretty small flies, and it was pretty slow. And then the guide suggested, hey, 
Joe, throw a, throw a sync tip in a streamer. And so I switched up and threw a sync tip in a streamer. I did that for all about 15 minutes and caught one really nice brown out of a log pile. And it was like, there was like this black hole right in it. There's giant logs in the water along the edges where there's not cliffs, there's giant logs. It's so neat. But I fired that stream right back in a hole back there in this in this black, you know, crevasse that was backing against that log. And no sooner did that that streamer hit the water than boom, I had a fish on. And it was just a little streamer, like a little Rio's gold jigger. Um, that's the other thing that surprises me is uh, the brown trout in South America, on average, uh, I have more success in the guides tend to want to fish smaller streamers more than large streamers and smaller flies. Um, we fish bigger dry flies here on the Yakima with the with the exception of that big Cantaria beetle in South America. We fish bigger flies on the Yakima River. Now, bigger hoppers for sure. But I, I fish streamer fish for about 15 minutes, then I went back to the beetle. And uh, what I learned was uh, the, the fly selection, you know, we try to ignore fly selection a little bit and just say presentation matters. But Eric had tied a beetle with a little bit of blue uh, sparkle dubbing on the belly of it. And then uh, he was getting a lot more strikes um, than I was. And we, we took that beetle and he was missing them and getting strikes. And so the, the guide cut the body width of the beetle down a little bit. Uh, and then I got on that beetle kick and man, that sparkle blue beetle that day for whatever, like was getting bit about two or three to one versus anything else. And we went on to have just a a really, really nice day. Uh, I think we landed about eight to 10 fish, uh, probably eight to 10 fish each, which Eric's a a good caster and and I'm a, you know, I would say highly capable angler. And so we're going to catch probably more then uh, that would say just the average cross-section of the angling population. But 8 to 10 fish each. It was, like, really, really great. We, we had zero complaints about the number of fish we caught. Had a great day, and we actually got back to the lodge at a, you know, pretty reasonable hour. I think we were back to the lodge about 5.30 or 6. So uh, that was day one, but I think my takeaways were immediately that uh, all I brought was five weights. And you'll hear this again, but I should have absolutely been fishing uh, six just for the fly size, the wind. Um, I brought four or five weights with me on this trip and I fished the Sage R8 five weight exclusively the entire week. Didn't touch another rod. Uh, but when I go back, I'm definitely going to take a six. So that was my wrap up on day one. Day two, river float. So took a raft, uh, went with a different guide and, um, dropped into a river that's right near the lodge down there. And, uh, yeah, put in and didn't take long. I started to hook a few fish on streamers, probably because it was, you know, sun angle was a little lower. And that was just what seemed, when the guide was, was launching the boat, it seemed like I'll pitch a streamer into here. And I hooked some nice fish and broke one off on a streamer right at the the, the put in there. And was with my longtime good angling buddy and number one customer and guest and just great friend, Jim. And, uh, yeah, Jim started out throwing a dry in the front of the boat. And then guide was like, ah, just, just chuck streamers out of the back. And I was like, eh, okay, I'll throw a streamer. I, I don't particularly care for streamer fishing. I signed up when I got into fly fishing, man, dry flies, that was always the goal. I'll do every kind of fishing, but if dry flies are on the table, man, I'm, I just like throwing dries and I fish them enough that I, I, 
I feel like for me, is the risk of sounding arrogant, it's not an arrogant statement, but I fish dry flies. I'm in love with it enough that I do it a lot and you can get good at it. So those hours or days or minutes where you're not catching fish, you're still learning, you're, you're, you're learning the drift, you're learning the cast, you're learning how to throw hook, little hook casts and mends and reach casts and deal with wind and make that fly drift right. And your mind is processing all that data all the time and you're learning how to make that cast better and that drift better. But what I find is a lot of people, they don't dry fly fish it, when it's bad. They only want to dry fly fish when there's a hatch or they're biting or it's a hopper season. And they don't just dry fly fish for a long period of time processing all that data, you know, and trying to get better at making the drift and making the cast the first time, you know, instead of taking three attempts to hit a spot, shoot that dime in there on the first shot, check that spot, move on. And uh, I think if you want to get good at dry fly fishing, and maybe that's a takeaway from this trip is I love dry fly fishing. I want to dry fly fish. That's what I want to do. If it's an option and I can find mature trout on dry flies, sign me up. I'm going to stick with it. So I, I got rid of my streamer pretty quick. As soon as Jim threw a cast, we spotted a brown trout laying on a, it's crazy on the server. The brown trout will often lay in like six to 12 inches of water on the shore and you'll just be floating and fishing along. And then all of a sudden, like way up in the skinny water, man, just, yeah, just like breathing, almost like breathing through their nostrils. These these big browns will be up there. And when I say big brown, I'm just talking like a 20-inch brown. Um, you know, just a good solid trout. And uh, I watched Burge, uh, Jim, which Jim throw a cast. And his hopper landed on the shoreline. And he went twitch, twitch. And the hopper was jumping on the shore. And then jumped into the water. And then the moment it just jumped into the water, uh, that brown trout just came up and just ate that thing and just annihilated it. It was awesome. I'm like, okay, get rid of this streamer. I'm done. I am 100% done with that for the rest of the day. Uh, and so that was kind of how our day started. I mean, that brown trout, we were joking that it climbed up on the shore, it grew legs, climbed up on the shore and, you know, walked up there and ate that hopper. I mean, it was like right in the shallow water on the bank. So that was an exciting start to our day. Uh, I fished again that Sage R8 the entire day and, uh, my my takeaways were were two. I actually wrote down uh, a couple of things. Is uh, line control is paramount. Like it didn't matter on that day how far you could cast. Um, it mattered if you had really good line control because we were in a boat. And it was pretty busy, and it's a, it's or we were in a raft. And it's a small raft, and we he and I tangled up like we cross-fired like rarely and we're we're often throwing to different sides of the boat there's a lot of chaos going on but just understanding your surroundings and having good line control and making well calculated casts and just thinking through like okay the angler in front's up he's down I'm gonna time you know and having a good boat where the anglers are working together really was important we had a really great great boat that day uh and then the other one was uh, the purple haze dry fly. That's, I think we call it, I should look here um, on, you know, I'm actually going to look this up while we're here because I want you to get the name of this fly exact. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's tied by the Rio company. It's Rio's Parawolf purple dry fly. That's the exact name. And uh, that thing was just killer. F floated great. You could take it anywhere from a 12 to an 18 and use it for almost every different scenario. It's just a great attractor. Those fish have a, really had a hard time passing it up. And we were sight casting to big rainbows uh, in 
that were hovering suspended six to 12 inches under the surface, sipping midge and blue wings, lots of little, little flies. And we just put that pair of wolf over them. And uh, man, they would just sip that in. Seemed like every time you put the cast on them, we, we only let a couple get away. We were, we were pretty much undefeated uh, on that with the, with that purple pair of wolf. I said purple haze, but it's a kind of a variant of the purple haze. A little bit, little bit buffer on the, um, the post, just that it floats good and you can trust it. You know, take a, take a good mend or a punch. So those are my takeaways there. Uh, best fly of the day. Yeah, it was that, that purple pair of wolf was fly of the day. Uh, we, we caught fish on hoppers and stuff too, but that purple pair of wolf sight casting to those suspended rainbows was without a doubt uh, the absolute highlight of that day. Day three, uh, that was a weather day. We went up and we, we jetted up a river. Uh, we had a jet pump on a cataract. We jetted up a river into a lake, fished that lake, caught a few fish, but it was so cold and so windy and so nasty. I mean, it was like, I definitely wouldn't use the word miserable, but it was it tested your gear and tested your metal a little bit. I mean, we had constant 20-mile-an-hour wind um, blowing a lot of water up on us. Uh, I was fully kitted up in my Squala carbon jacket, uh, Squala 3-2 puffy, and uh, a sweatshirt underneath that, and I was still like, I wasn't, I wasn't warm, I'll put it that way. And uh, gear was great. I mean, that was my note for my takeaway on day three. It was just like, Having really good waterproof gear, I had this crappy, well, it's not a crappy backpack, but I had a backpack that I really liked it for carrying on the plane because it can put my laptop in there because a lot of times I'll use my laptop to collect photos and stuff from people, which I didn't do any of. We were fishing really long days and I didn't feel like getting on a computer on, on a fishing trip. But uh, I had this crappy backpack that really wasn't very, wasn't didn't have great waterproof features and that was a big mistake. Because it, we got so much spray and slop uh, over the side of the boat. Some of the videos and photos I took from that day are pretty impressive in showing you how inclement that weather was. But the the gear was really critical. Uh, Fishing-wise, we threw beetles. We just threw big Rio's ground beetles uh, right up against the cliff walls. And we didn't change flies at all. We never threw streamers or anything. Jim is I fished with Jim again, and he's dry fly guy too. And so we just threw beetles the entire day. And... We jetted up that lake into another river, into another lake, and then we caught fish in that lake, and then we floated down the river on the oars and caught fish in that river, and then caught fish in that same lake again for a second time, and then caught fish in the river on the way as we floated back out to the... We had really nice fishing as we floated and drift fished back down the the, the lower river back to uh, the starting point. And the guides are awesome. I mean, those boats actually they leave them in the water, um, they leave them in the water or at the access point. They have private land access points. So the boat, you don't even have to take it out at the end of the day. Just chain, the guides chain them up. They lock up the boat in the outboard and, uh, you don't even have to take the boat out. It's like super efficient. These guys, this guide crew does an absolute killer job. So that was day three, uh, day three or that night we switched to another lodge. We went up in, uh, a little closer to the Argentina border where it's drier, um, a little bit more desert, like a high desert-like, big grassland plains, kind of what you think of when you uh, think of the high pampas of Argentina, um, like miles of grassland. And I fished uh, right at the the Estancia on day four. And uh, I went up into the headwaters of the Estancia in this tiny, tiny little spring creek. It was just so small, but... Um, 
we caught some fabulous, fabulous trout, but man, it was technical fishing, like super, super technical in the sense that on these spring creeks, uh, the water's really not moving on these spring creeks. You're not really drifting the fly anywhere. I mean, which a lot of people are like, oh, that sounds kind of like, you know, like I've just heard people like, oh, that sounds lame. Well, what's not lame about it is, man, you have to, you have to deliver the fly to the fish. Like you have to put the fish, the fly, like right on the fish. You can't throw a cast and then throw three men's, you can't throw a, you know, crappy ass cast, throw three men's into it and fix it as it drifts 10 to 15, 20 feet and then catch a fish that started out as a, as a complete, a complete disaster on your cast. On the spring creeks, like the fish are like sitting under undercuts and underneath kind of some of the weedy edges and stuff. And you have to deliver that dry fly like right where it's supposed to go. It has to hit the water just right. It's got to look right. You might have to twitch it once or twice, right? And if you blow it and you miss and you make a bunch of noise, you're not going to catch fish. So to me, the exciting part is like it's a good marksmanship game. It's not impossible. I don't mean to make it sound like this daunting challenge, but it's different than what people think. Like the challenge is in the cast on that slow, those slow moving streams. And so I fished a, a little beetle called a Tim's beetle. Uh, there's also one called the point garden uh, that I fished. And these are little beetles. These are like 14s, 16s, little itty bitty beetles for the, the bigger trout like those little flies on the spring creek. I did fish a hopper a little bit, but primarily beetles. And if you want to see any of the videos, scroll back through our Instagram uh, to the end of January 2023. And if you're listening to this later on, scroll back in there and you can see some of the flies and things mentioned. And I'll try to put some links to the flies mentioned if I can remember each one uh, in the show description here. But yeah, little beetles, fish the Estancia, tiny spring creek, fished with my friend John, whom I've had the pleasure of guiding uh, here in the Northwest. And it was blowing like, oh, it was blowing like crazy. It was just super windy. And we really had to use that Patagonian roll cast or the Belgian wind cast to just to maintain control of your fly in the air. And I'll post a YouTube video of that. But that was my big takeaway is we had a lot of crosswinds. And, um, you know, generally we tried to set up on the fish so that we had a left to right tailwind because it was blowing 30 at times. And uh, that Belgian wind cast, or you know what I like to call the Patagonia roll cast, uh, is is essentially just you're not going to be able to throw your back cast out straight behind you. Ideally, you throw a back cast that's a laser image of a laser clone, whatever you want to mentally think of. It's like a clone of your forward cast, where that back cast loop is straight and tight, and it goes back to a perfect spot behind you, 180 degrees away from your target. And then you drive the rod forward and it goes 180 degrees forward. Like that's a textbook cast. Here, you're not going to get that back cast to lay out straight. So what you do is you try to take that, that rod tip and you move it in a very wide circle out to the side. So if I'm a right-hander, my rod tip is going to go in a big circle out to the right, which is what we do not want to do in most textbook casting. And then I can keep the line tight the entire time in the air and although the line doesn't get all the way out behind me, I at least maintain tension. So I'm able to sweep the fly out to the right, high to the right as a right-hander, and then drive really hard forward, and I can get very accurate casts where the wind has not as much effect on it. If you try to just throw a straight back cast into that wind, the wind is going to collapse it and just turn it into a big pile of slack, and that's how people hook themselves. They hook their rods. They get tangles. 
because you're not maintaining tension during the cast. And in that Patagonia roll cast, your rod tip cannot stop moving. The rod tip stops moving, that's death. That's when the wind gains control and you lose you lose accuracy and efficiency in your cast. So that was my big takeaway. The creek, unfortunately, they'd had a hot spell the week to two weeks before there had been really hot and dry. And uh, the, the weed growth and, and some algae growth was a little bit more than what I wanted to deal with, but we caught some fabulous trout. It was good memory, good challenge. But that was the only day we fished the Estancia because that heat wave kind of kind of muckied things up a little bit. So as we get later in the year, a lot of those spring creeks do get a little bit weedier than we want. But um, yeah, we had a great day. Um, the, my rod was too light. Uh, that was one thing I wrote down right here in my notes is the rod was definitely too light. I wish I'd had a six weight. I would have had a lot more control. And then um, we run pretty heavy tippets. We run like 2X and 1X tippet. Um, and that's just when you're when you're trying to get flies out of the grass and stuff on heavy tippet with no stretch, you you can really get tempted to really yank on it, and you can break those rod tips. And a six weight would have been a really nice thing just for durability. I did not break a rod, but I'm extremely conscientious that heavy tippet tends to break light rods. Um, so that's just kind of a general tip for you. So uh, yeah, that was on the Estancia. Um, the fifth day, we went and we did a big walk and wade trip, uh, and I went with uh, a guy named Josh from Hawaii that day. Josh is a super nice dude, kind of a little bit on the newer um, end of the spectrum as far as uh, his angling um, experience goes, uh, but he's been to Christmas Island. He loves fly fishing. It was a heck of a fishing partner for the day. We had a great time. Uh, but we went and we, it was a little colder than normal. We, we drove and we hiked this place I'd never been before. And all the trips I've been there, never been to this spot. It's true with a lot of these places. I went to uh, several new locations. I went to four new, four out of six days were new locations for me. And I, this is my, was my fifth trip uh, to this, with this outfitter. Uh, so we went to hike this freestone. And again, Patagonia Rollcast was, was, very very useful rod was a little light same thing hoppers i fished i fished a rio's juicy hopper and lots of grasshoppers down there uh but i would say that the trout in patagonia have a tendency to like smaller hoppers like number 12s and number 10s um i caught a few fish on eights but the smaller hopper i ran the more fish i got and uh got some great fish up to about 19 inches i think uh, i think we got one that was about 19 inches, most of them in that 14 to 17 range. I mean, just good quality trout. And uh, the guide, uh, my guide Hector, fished a little bit that day too, which was a lot of fun. I, I just was, I catch enough fish, I get, uh, I, I don't have to catch a lot. Um, but Hector fished a good part of the afternoon, which was fun for me to just kind of bop around, take a few photos, and hang with Josh uh, a little bit. But yeah, rod was too light, and smaller hoppers were better uh, on that river uh, as well. As far as gear goes, that was one day where I wished I, I needed a backpack. I, it was a pain in the neck having to shove stuff in the guide. He had a big backpack, and I just had my hip pack, and, and I absolutely should have had a backpack with me. Uh, yeah, I will uh, on the next one. Uh, the sixth day, we drove a long ways. We drove an hour and 40 minutes uh, in the on the morning of day six to get to this lake that's got really big trout. 
The wind finally laid down a little bit, although it was still super, super windy. It was the le least wind out of every day that week. And so we're like, hey, let's get on this lake. And uh, four of us went over there, and uh, we caught some just bruiser brown trout. I fished with my buddy Jim again uh, that day, and uh, we caught some great fish. And what we did was we, we twitched, well, say we twitched, we fished big Pat Stone type flies, TJ Hookers, Rio Silly Stones, uh, Pat's Jiggy Stones, and we strip them and twitch them like dragonfly nymphs. So the trout in this lake love dragonfly nymphs, and we casted them in against the weed edges and let them sink, and we just go strip, 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 pause, strip, 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 pause. And I switched back and forth between a sink tip and a floating line and then finally felt like I had more control with a floating line. We didn't have a dry fly opportunity that day, unfortunately. It was just the guy was like, oh, it's just way too windy. It's cold. There's no hatch. They do get dragonflies and caddis there uh, at times that you can dry fly these big browns with. But we caught our, Jim and I both caught our biggest trout of the week. I got one uh, that was a solid 25-inch female with a giant forehead and a huge belly. It was ridiculous, ridiculous proportions on this fish. And then Jim got one, a big male that was just kind of right on par for length, about 25. Uh, just didn't have that big, you know, girth that that female did. Uh, and we caught both of them twitching stones. But my takeaway from that day was one heavier rod, a seven weight would have been much better to have on that lake. Um, just because we're throwing weighted flies a long ways. I can handle catching those fish on a five weight. I, I can fight them with a low rod angle. That's no problem. It's more a matter of, especially when you're in awkward positions, you know, where you're in a boat, the boat's twisted, being able to take that big heavy fly and just have a line, not not even just the rod, but the, the mass weight of that seven weight line just eats that weight of the fly up and turns it over. And so I would like to have a seven weight for the lake uh, in those conditions again. Minimum of a six, the five was, you know, way, way, way undergunned. Uh, so yeah, those are my takeaways from the lake day. Heavier rod, floating line will give you a lot more control uh, if you're fishing a really heavy fly. I felt like when I twitched it, that floating line would kind of pick it back up off the, the weeds. There's some weed beds in there. Dragonfly nymphs love weed beds. And so these browns kind of cruise over these weed beds and in and out of the grass. And uh, I felt like I got a lot less junk on my fly when I would have that floating line and I caught you know, enough fish. We only caught, I think I landed four fish that day and the smallest one was 20 inches, um, but we worked our butts off. I mean, we fished hard. Um, so don't go thinking that every day in South America is going to be a 30 trout day. You're going to, you're going to work your butt off. You're going to be challenged. Uh, overall on the trip, I come back from that trip and I just, it reminds me when I get away from the computer and the shop and the retail and just, you know, just how much I absolutely love fly fishing. I am just so into trout fishing, especially. I like throwing bugs for trout. Um, when I go saltwater fishing anymore, my, I'm going doing some tarpon fishing and stuff this year, but my preference is bonefish, like throwing lighter, smaller flies, like delivering that light package right to the nose of the fish, like really excites me. And I get to do a lot of that in Patagonia. So it was a fabulous trip. Learned a lot about gear. Uh, Learned a lot from the guides down there. The guides are highly skilled. Uh, you know, like they deal with those elements all the time. They're great casters. So, yeah, overall a great trip. Um, I've got dates for next year. Um, it'll fill up pretty fast. So if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I'm on in, just jump online and book it online.
Um, I'll put notes uh, in the description, but if you just jump online and book it, it's an easy deal, and then you immediately get emailed a link to try to help with the flight planning and stuff like that, and then you can email me at joe at redsflyshop.com. Uh, I love having new people on my hosted trips. I don't take the same group of people again and again. Uh, I have lots of new faces on the trips, and I'm uh, delighted to help. Uh, so I've got those trips next year. I've got uh, a trip to Gardens of the Queen in Cuba for Tarpon in June of 2024. You can email me about that one. You can't book that one online. But uh, this rooster fish trip I've got coming up in June is killer. So um, anyway, maybe some of the listeners will get you on one of these trips someday. So until then, peace out, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.